Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love, linked in the show notes. Out of the generosity, collaborative nature, and the fact that people are passionate about this idea that we've been successful. And it's only because of community that we've existed. And I want to ensure that we amplify that for every city we touch upon. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised L.A., and I created We Are L.A. Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech episode shout out goes to Chris Miles. Chris Miles, thank you for being such a longtime member of the We Are LA Tech community and just championing everything that we do. Really appreciate you. Be sure to say hello to Chris on Twitter at Miles Next Door. That's M I L E S N E X T D O O R. Miles Next Door. Let Chris know you found him via We Are LA Tech. Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA tech companies and talent. So excited uh, as a guest host, this is Dave Whalen, been collaborating with Esprit Devora for many years on many things. So thrilled to be doing these guest hosts for one of my favorite podcasts in the world and really thrilled to have one of my favorite entrepreneurs and collaborators over multiple things, at least over the past year. Rachel Kim. So Rachel, welcome. Uh, let's just kick things off. Tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you're doing, and then we'll dig into all the exciting details. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. This is an amazing podcast. My name is Rachel Kim, CEO of My Comma. We always do My Comma intros because we believe My Comma means three different things. It's taking the time or the breath for yourself. It's acknowledging all sides of you as a person and the fact that it takes more than you, i.e. it takes a community to change and shift what we work on. And it's really about healthcare equity, particularly for women and non-binary individuals. So that, that tech or term is called femtech for anybody who doesn't know. And it's really addressing, I would say, um, conditions or situations where uh, women and non-binary individuals are disproportionately affected, particularly um, in healthcare and and wellness. So very broad stroke. Just a little bit more about me. Came from the Pacific Northwest. I'm a, uh, I came from the Seattle area, small little white suburb, grew up there for 18 years, left for Northwestern in Chicago. And then I started sort of my big corporate job um, after a year in London for Accenture. Um, and I did that for 10 years where I specialized in not only global business and data analytics strategy, I actually am a geek, if you guys don't know me. Um, this is We Are LA Tech, so this is perfect. You got the oh, tech yeah. angle going. I like so it. I specialized in information security strategy and risk management. And actually, I was um, GDPR. I was the lead and actually one of the leading experts for Accenture by the time I left in 2018. Um, from there, I actually really built them a business line. Uh, I had worked in data protection and information security when it was not sexy. So I think at the time it was like cloud was the buzzword, but like cybersecurity and everything else is now. Um, so I have a very interesting background because uh, funnily enough, I graduated with a political science and economics double degree from Northwestern. So I was going to just ask that sort of question. So sort of uh, how does one become a you know data security guru for Accenture? Um, uh, so even just, you know, what were you? Go back to college a little bit, kind of like, you know, what did you want to be doing when you were in college? Uh, you know, were you planning on being a data security consultant or what were you thinking of doing with PolySci? 
So I went to one school of economics for a year as well. Um, for me, the what got me into understanding or loving economics and political science is they're sort of really two different social constructs trying to explain human behavior of either how it is or maybe how it should be. And uh, I always think maybe because of just who I am personally, I like to observing people, even since when I was young. So I think it just sort of stems out of my natural curiosity of um, how people behave, what's the incentive to do so versus what should happen. Um, and so for me, I feel like those were two sides at the same point. Um, I did do a stint on in the Joint Economic Committee under Schumer um, during subprime mortgage, right before subprime mortgage crisis was officially announced. And actually the press, that press conference where Bush and Schumer were at, that was my last day as an intern for them. So I knew actually early headwinds, subprime mortgage crisis was coming. And so when I was looking at the job market, really, when you go out of Northwestern, there were two big pressures, you either become an investment banker or consultant. And I would say I did not have a clear idea of what exact industry I wanted to go into, but I knew I needed to be in a position where I could understand or learn a lot um, across industries and consulting for me gave me that opportunity. So luckily enough, um, I was able to secure a job by December of 2007 before subprime mortgage crisis sort of boiled over. And that's really how I got into like Censure. How I got into security was actually probably by accident. I know, honestly, I was, so because of this environment, it was pretty brutal. You know, you had clients backing out of engagements, negotiating cheaper rates of which then affects our chargeability or how much are you actually working on a client. And so uh, I think at least half of the graduates who were offered job offers that year actually were not brought on by Accenture. Not, not the exact number, but I do know that a fair amount were offered either to be come, you know, try and start in like three months time, which they eventually just weren't offered any jobs. At. So that was the kind of climate. And actually what I consider wartime, because that's exactly what we're doing right now. We're going to wartime. So that's how I went into the job market. And I ended up backfilling for the information security response team. So our Accenture's own internal team of investigations. And I learned how to manage cases, which with work with managing directors, work with data privacy uh, lawyers, deal with protocols, procedures. I did that over the course of a year and a half, did extremely well, had a very full uh, supportive manager. And what I realized was the fact that, like, one, technology is always evolving, so security is always going to be a step behind, right, the technology behind it. So, therefore, there's going to be an ever-evolving need. Hence, today, everybody recognizes that's the fact. But because I had a niche skill set, both from process management, forensic investigation background, because I needed that to stay on the team and my ability to work with level, um, multi-level stakeholders from managing directors all the way down to other analysts, because I did come in as an analyst. I pitched myself to uh, London, the security lead out of there. And that's how they pulled me, actually, was sort of like that niche experience. So it was really by accident and sort of need of the company. And I built upon the skill set to really be a full-fledged information security strategy and risk management consultant, as well as um, I was pulled on actually as soon as they landed in London into a big engagement with one of the big resource clients. No one had ever had any experience with data protection in general. By that time, I had. And so I was actually a lead for a $5 million program at that time. For nah, that still time. as, still as like an associate basically, but you were as an uh, analyst. Yeah. Oh, well, I had, um, by that time I had gotten to consultant within a year and a half. Well, but even as a consultant, the work that I was doing was level of a manager. And that would always be the case within, I would say my, tra- my career trajectory, but that's how I really landed in that area. It was by chance. And then seeing the opportunity to really hone and expand that. And I think that's always a really, that was sort of the beginning for me of understanding how you can create your own opportunities from 
you know, just random experiences thrown at you. Yeah, I, I love that. I feel like that's been, that's kind of how I've done it, whether I plan to do it that way or not. You just, that's the more, the more fun way to go through life. You know, just, just a bit of foreshadowing on sort of my comma and some of, you know, what, it, what the other things that you're doing are. I just love your thoughts on sort of this idea of data privacy and security and, you know, how, uh, how that might have, uh, ultimately pushed you into a little bit of the healthcare world because there's such a, such a great alignment there. There should be a great alignment there. I think there's an emerging alignment, especially from a consumer perspective. I think I would say professionals. So big companies, the Accentures of the world, consultant, uh, consultants definitely recognize the need earlier, but I always feel like any, any idea comes to the market. It takes about five to 10 years for some, a well understood internal idea to then be um, bought mainstream socially. So if I think about data privacy and security, I mean, coming to Femtech right now, post Roe v. Wade overturn, everybody's talking about period apps and either they're demonizing them or there's so much hesitation. And my thing is, look, I spent 10 years in tech. What about all your IoT devices that, whether it's your phone, your Alexa, your car, um, all that information can be triangula- triangulated to, you know, be supportive of any kind of uh, let's say legal requests. And just because you have data protection laws, there's always exceptions and exceptions normally are legal inquiries. Right now, I think people are understanding the need for privacy, particularly when it could be abused in a way, again, disproportionately affecting over 50% of the global population. But if we're talking about the U.S. still over 50% of the population, um, do, I would say, um, reinforce state by state laws on their own body autonomy. Um, when I left the U.S. in my 20s, I had more freedom then than I do have now as as a person of 36. Yeah. yeah. So if we're talking about the relevance, the importance of that, either securing that information, um, but also being able to have legal protections. Um, I think for sure the... And the latest and greatest of Roe v. Wade overturn, that's become a more hot topic, particularly because now everything is state driven. Yeah. No, and I definitely want to come back to that as we kind of get into the, into the story of what you're doing now. But, uh, so you're, you're living in London, you're working with clients just in the UK or these clients across the country around the world. So you're traveling. I know you've been, you've been to Malta more times than anyone I know in the world. So. That's a claim to fame, but yeah, where where were your where were your clients typically? Uh, a lot of them were European. I would get called to be an expert for Asian companies, U.S. companies. I let's just say there weren't really good boundaries for my own health in terms of getting called either to submit um, for RFPs for clients or to provide assets or create assets because no one else was really thinking about it in the way that I was. Right. And that's where um, I truly believe, like, if you have a unique experience, unique point of view, uh, that adds value. But you also it's a double edged sword, something you have to manage. So, yes, I had a lot of clients out of Germany. I worked actually talking about healthcare. I worked with a lot of pharmaceuticals. So um, a lot of them for them, because the clinical trials, for example, that was really important to understand what safeguards they needed to have in place, both contractually and business process wise and also IT control wise to either ensure they can process the data appropriately or protect the data appropriately as well. So for me, it's not a far off thing where, you know, I spent 10 years in consulting and then all of a sudden I went to healthcare. It's like, no, actually I've worked across all industries. Um, healthcare clients at least three years and I worked normally with their uh, their business and their, I would say, IT, so CISOs, CIOs, to really be, or in CDOs and CMOs, to work with the data they have because it is valuable. But there are limitations to how they can extract value from that from a revenue perspective. And there are also uh, responsibilities they have as well of even acquiring that data. You know, what, what was that transition kind of, uh, you know, why leave Accenture when you did and and what was your... What were you doing when you left Accenture? Was that to was that to start this company, or was there something else in there? Just getting back to the Northwest. 
I would say, um, so you can be a demise of your own success. I, because of the rapid demand and growing demand of my skill set and what I knew, you know, I trained over 30 employees all the way from managing directors to analysts of what I did in my own area because I was like key in asset development and thought leadership. And I would, so if we talk about an example, uh, I would be in five different countries in a, in a given week. Um, that has severe, and I had to be on top of my game, not only because it's, you know, clients are paying several thousand a day, Accenture several thousands a day. I won't give the exact number um, for you, but also the fact that normally I was trailblazing new areas that the clients hadn't ever thought about. And so being very successful in those engagements, very pressurized engagements, a lot of them were in cultures and in conversation, you know, with languages. For me, I thrive in that. I love languages. I love, you know, creating trust and being able to work with very isolated teams to cohesively buy into an idea to move forward. That is something that I really love to do. But at the same time, I hadn't been taking care of myself, both um, I would say mentally and physically. And therefore I burnt out. I mean, 10 years of Accenture, I think people can understand or consulting in general. It's a long time. It's a long time to run at that pace. Um, I was a senior manager when I left and really came down to uh, I needed, I had had four doctors telling me I needed to to change my lifestyle. Um, so that's part of it. And then the other aspect was if I wanted to sort of do the rat race for another year to become eligible or be considered right a part of the, the group for managing director uh, out of London. And in all honesty, I took a look at the managing directors with the senior managers. I just didn't think the value proposition was there. In terms of quality of life, the because Accenture is a public company, the pay difference isn't that not much different. And honestly, you're working for someone else's equity. I've always had strains of entrepreneurial interests since I was young. So teaching violin for money at the age of nine, you know, being able to do that through high school. Um, then in college, you know, I had my own research grant on top of working at a cafe. So it was one of those things where, and then I created these opportunities to be able to go to London, right? Even though they didn't have a role specifically, but I pushed myself to the managing director there. They recognized that they needed to grow the practice with my skill set, And so it really sort of came down to, I knew I needed to heal. Uh, and I also knew that this staying in that infrastructure wasn't my next thing. And so I, I left at my 10 year mark down to the day and I took a year to myself to heal and travel around the world, do things on my bucket list because I felt like that's what I deserved. Right. We work so hard and you can, it's so easy within the lives to sustain the weeds and just execute, execute. But uh, I just got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, no, that's great. So tell me, uh, before, before we dive into back in the Northwest and then eventually back in LA. So, uh, where did you go? What'd you do? I want to hear about, uh, I want to hear about your, your, your travels. I went to 18 countries for continents in the span of a year. I say 10 months, but actually, if I'm really honest, it was a whole year. Um, I went into it thinking I could maybe backpack, solo backpack for three months. So it wasn't planned, uh, in terms of, doing what I did. I started out in uh, Australia, New Zealand, you know, um, did Southeast Asia. So Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, um, you know, stopped in, in Indonesia, stopped it then in the U S even do my 10 year reunion, see some U S friends. And then I swapped stuff over for effectively what I consider uh European ski season, you know, early February, March, April. And, and, uh, I mean, Europe, I did everything like Germany, Greece, uh, Luxembourg, Belgium, did all around the coast of France, Spain, 
actually can't even think anymore. Just <laughs> it's pretty. That's pretty awesome. And I get no. And I love just. And I love the fact that you started off on a three month backpacking trip, and you're like, let's just. It just keeps on going and it going. Keeps, and it kept on going. And I was on a budget, by the way. It wasn't. I kept on going because of amazing people. I as I was a recovering, I started to believe in human in humanity again. I think I was just really jaded and really tired. Um, I had been through quite a battle, both physically and mentally, uh, by the time I had left Accenture. And so, and also part of it was myself. It's, it took me two months to allow myself to not feel guilty as I was traveling to actually enjoy my life whilst everybody else was working. And so it's been a process. In all honesty, by the time I came back, I was maybe 80, 90, probably 80% sort of recovered and healing, but you know, with COVID and everything else in the last three years, I just, it, uh, I just feel like I'm fully back in my power now. So it's been really four to five years of a journey to getting to here and creating my comma with my co-founder and the Femtech Salon, which we'll definitely talk about later. But uh, I would say if there are any recommendations to go travel to for me, uh, Valencia in Spain is amazing. It's, Great city. They curate it where you can walk. You can walk from the central part of the city down to the beach area. Um, they have parks and museums along the way. It's one of my favorite, I would say, relaxing spots. My number one of all time is New Zealand. I did both islands from head to tail. Did things like skydiving, 16,500 feet, heli hiking off of Fox Glacier. So if there's any indication, I do have an adrenaline junkie streak. Which probably is what you need to get into entrepreneurship. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's absolutely true. Well, you know, uh, adrenaline rush. I think the you know, sense of adventure. I think the sense of creativity and kind of this idea of you know being able to take the time to explore. All those things are great as a as an entrepreneur. Um, so you you finish this one year trip. You end up back at back at home just because that was you know going back going back. Back to the the basics at that point, and 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 tell me what happened. You show up at home. Uh, is this like literally back at your parents' house, or? Yeah, I shipped everything back from London to my pa- parents' house, and luckily enough, they have a sh- a big storage shed in the back, so I didn't have for, I didn't have to pay. You know, I'm very economical. I like being capital efficient. <laughs> they have my stuff. I I literally have been living out of a suitcase effectively for a year, and so I came back and I. Didn't intend to stay. It was, you know, I spent some time with my family. Uh, but then I met this wonderful individual from WeWork Labs and she was the community manager at the time. Shout out to Aileen McGraw, who is, um, has gone on to do amazing work with, uh, entrepreneurs and, and I would say a presidential a government agency. And then she's gone. She's just an amazing marketer. She, she had her roots in Microsoft um, in terms of storytelling. She's an amazing person, a storyteller. But yeah, I met her and she was the community manager at the time. And I just felt like I had this idea percolating whilst I was traveling on having issues with my period and maybe creating a period kit for traveling. Like when you, something you can grab on the plane, something you can grab at a hotel on a cab, um, you know, something that gives you everything from uh, period underwear to period products to chocolate and just like a little care package that you can take with you, but be really easy because of the fact that actually travel and tourism channels really suck. There's barely any product available at, and you just uh, normally don't know where to get it. Right. Now that makes, that totally makes sense. I mean, again, as a, as a, as a guy, I know I don't, I don't live that, but I definitely, you know, you see even just the, you know, the, the, the basics that are available in sort of public restrooms in, in America, which is, you know, or an office restroom in America, which is not very much. And then you add the, the travel chaos and, you know, traveling and not having what you need for any aspect of your life is hard, but for something that you sort of know is going to happen, but don't know where to find it and don't know how to ask for it. I could see that being a huge challenge. And sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the thing is, uh, everybody assumes that a period is regular, is quote unquote regular. For every person, every period can be very different. The period cycle that I, even I have. 
Right. And I got to imagine traveling actually probably, I mean, exacerbates that irregularity even more. But it also impacts your ability to enjoy your travel. I mean, some people aren't just don't go out for days because they just don't have the right product with them. And they stay in the hotel because of the shame. Right. And so I talked to people as I was backpacking around both in hostels and hotels because I did the mix. And I had this idea. It's funny because one of my friends down in LA at the time, she and I had talked about it. We sort of MVP'd what that would look like. But then she herself got pregnant. Uh, and so wasn't able to work on it with me. And it's really interesting, right? How that cycle and the ability to give life has a huge impact on what we can and cannot do with the current tools and services provided. Now that is shifting, which is an amazing time for femtech, but that's where I was when I landed in Seattle. And so I, when I met Aileen, uh, I just saw the ability, it was the community, the, the tools and the ability. I just saw a path for being able to launch. And at that point in time, it was called um, Project Untaboo. Just very naive of me. For me, it's just like obviously un, un, unraveling the shame around travel and period care particularly. But I would, you know, the, your first one or two years as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of learning and pivoting that you see, even with market research and then COVID hit well, so tra- that shot trouble down. It was six months. I had started on Taboo about six months before uh, COVID actually came into effect. <laughs> so I think, you know, it takes a couple of years for that stuff to ramp back up, back up again. So it was a very challenging period because I had volunteers and people's help uh, working with me, uh, uh, actually 16 people at that time. And... You know, I chose to focus on my people to take care of them, help them get into tech jobs, uh, read their resumes, interview them, all the things. Um, so it's been quite the last three years, I would say. But I, what I appreciate about it is a lot of the struggles um, that you face, perhaps as more of a mature CEO, I was able to deal with then. And I always feel like the earlier that you can deal with hardships, have things thrown at you the better, the better you're off. Um, so that's how I, that's how I came into Seattle. That's who I met. And from there, I just started making a community. Now, during COVID, I also realized the fact that Seattle's not a CPG focused city. And instead of trying to hit my head against the wall, which I have been with people, because, you know, they're very, their tendency is more B2B SaaS platform, micro, you know, a lot of it is Microsoft. Amazon uh, mentality that overshadows the city, I had to move myself to LA. And before I did that, I visited Miami and New York to remind myself if I could live there or not. And effectively, I chose LA as of nine months ago. Long-winded answer, but those were some of my considerations in my path to getting here. Got it. Got it. And I, I, I do, I am familiar with your LA transition because I know I was uh, one of the early conversations uh, as you were coming here, which was, which was very cool. So along the way, you, you were talking about, you know, branding and kind of trying to launch a business in, in pandemic. Um, I think you've actually changed the company name two times now, at least, or, you know, so you've operated under three brands, right? So you, you've shifted branding more than, more than once. Oh, uh, yeah. Effectively, I mean, I, in some ways you can call me in a serial entrepreneur by this time as well. So Untaboo, um, have been collaborating with Ladybox. So we did all the product research because for me, my pivot was, okay, well, if I can't do travel, what am I really good at? It's like data. So what about creating this database where people can research and research easily about peer care products instead of trying to hunt in 10 different spaces in their social medias? They, you know, spend more than an hour product trying to figure out if that's the best for them. Uh, we helped Lady Boss and my, who is my current co-founder, Aljo and Sperber. Shout out to her. She's amazing. Uh, on just curating better boxes for her, um, menstrual community and we started with an eco box. We started with some content collaborations. And from there, it just really involved after two years of working together for us to merge. And so lady box, um, is the, it, it was a, just a period care subscription box. After we merged, 
uh, we, and we rebranded to Mycoma, which was actually a, a name given to us by one of our customers at our business kickoff party thrown by, um, Emily Waslack from a shine registry. It really made it real on what my comment meant for us. The fact that it came from our own consumers, the fact that for us, it was really about, um, creating, you know, a better quality of life for our people on our planet, which is our overall mission. And to do so, we have an organic period care subscription platform, which actually really started the work of the Femtech Salon. So we love amplifying women and bipolar brands because they have you know, different product development perspectives that weren't taken into consideration previously. We also like supporting putting our money there because that's all we can do at that point, right? Um, besides, you know, amplifying marketing. And to really power new menstrual routines because we are in an era where we have so much choice now um, and it's growing. Problem is normal consumer, you know, you can get analysis paralysis. It's overwhelming. So that's why for us, we have, a, you know, your period quiz personalization is really important. Um, but we launched that MVP this year. We have, we have recurring customers, but, um, through that work and my landing in LA, I really understood the fact that femtech founders do not have the community required for them to be successful. To be a femtech and particularly if you're a BIPOC female founder, you're going against a lot of things sort of things stacked against you. It's one of the hardest verticals to get invested in. Um, you know, you have numbers, you know, just to be a female founder to get invested in, you know, it's like 2%. And then if you go into BIPOC and then you choose life sciences and bio, you know, bioscience. And so when everybody in this space is on the mission to address disproportionate issues and really effectively drive health equity for society, well, what it takes a village. So, um, yes, you were my first. Yes. Right. In terms of my, my question was, is there a physical home for Femtech in LA? With all the femtech founders I would be meeting, no. And so I pitched that idea to you to do the first femtech salon in July, and that you know you and I came at came at it as an experience. It's like okay, this is a proof of concept. Will it be successful if we make it femtech founder forward, but invite all the community to be connected and actually drive? And support one another. And yes, the answer, obviously, since we still exist, is yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and and just uh, just to you know segue into it, you know where that goes. You know, you you talked about you've mentioned community a few times, and sort of what you you know what you've seen over your career, and kind of what you've learned. And I, I think this this very much is about not just creating community, but but uh, fostering community and connecting communities. And so I think that's why. That is why there was such immediate sort of visceral positive response. But then, yeah, share about, you know, kind of how it's, how it's evolving, how it's growing and where it's going beyond LA as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it takes a community. We had, you know, sponsors come in, drink sponsors. Shout out to Cooley and First Republic for being our first sponsors and continuous sponsors for the LA ones. For me and me, uh, the first event was free and we had 253 RSVPs. We can only accommodate 150. Um, and in LA, that's pretty huge. I mean, we were sold out in less than a week. Um, but then the question is, okay, let's learn and let's test. So our second one was in October. It was our first paid event. We still had over a hundred people attend and they were not only women. And I, this is something I'm calling out because the and in my comma isn't just for women or non-binary individuals. It's everyone socially talking about this. And what really gets me is when I have men who attend and they get the, they grab a swag bag and they're like, Oh, I'll grab it for my girlfriend, daughter, wife, uh, mother, someone in their life, maybe friend. But what will force them to do is say, Hey, here's the bag. And the question is like, oh, how did you get the bag? Oh, I attended this call. And then it creates this new conversation that they would have never had before. And so it's evolved to this thing where I understood finally what, where my superpowers can be used. 
my ability to get isolated individuals or teams to work together to a common goal, which originates from consulting. Uh, it can be used in this manner successfully. And the fact that I love building and trailblazing new infrastructure. So I'm effectively ecosystem building for femtech salons in high growth cities now. So our next one is in Atlanta, which is December 8th. Beyond that, we have Miami and Austin slated for Q1 and Q2 of, of 2023. We have a longer list beyond that. But the idea is to rapidly build these ecosystems and infrastructure so that um, existing brands and new brands and entrepreneurs can actually land, have a landing pad so they can actually be more successful. It's been a journey. I mean, two, two events, and we have our third one in December and less than the span of six months. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome with a lot of, with hundreds of, hundreds of attendees with, uh, some incredible entrepreneurs and, and speakers, not to mention the sponsors, but just the, the people on stage and the people who've helped to be part of this have been just incredible individuals. And that's just it is I am one person. <laughs> I am one person who came to LA with basically no network because the majority of mine had been in Europe before. I maybe knew two people from Northwestern who had gone to college with here, but that's it. And it was out of the generosity, collaborative nature, and the fact that people are passionate about this idea that we've been successful. And it's only because of community that we've existed. And I want to ensure that we amplify that for every city we touch upon. And I deliberately chose Atlanta, not because it's only it's number four tech hub of America, but because of the fact that we had existing brands we've been working with since their beginning, right, with our box. And then also the fact that, you know, politically speaking, it's a different state. And my main point is the fact that everybody should have body autonomy. Everybody should understand who's innovating for them locally, especially now that everything's street driven. However, they make their choices, whatever the political alliances is, that's not my problem. It's not up to me. I think for my job is to that ensure that not only are these fintech founders successful, is that they actually build closer, accelerating closer relationships with consumers as well. Um, in this new era of post Roe v. Wade overturn. And that, that for me is, is the starting point. Um, so this comes, this comes without political agenda, even though I think probably most people know I'm liberal. I would say the fact that everybody deserves the right to uh, understand their body and what it needs and to know what services, innovators and, and products are available for them to take care of themselves at home, as well as, you know, if they need to go externally to a, a, a service provider. Yeah, no, I think, you know, this is, you know, clearly, clearly there was a huge need for what you're doing as you were starting to build the business. And that need has become, you know, not just even more important, but, uh, you know, more critically important over the past few months. And I love the fact that you're going into states like Georgia and going into states like Texas, where, uh, you know, Austin might be a fairly, uh, you know, fairly blue, uh, you know, nice place to live, but, uh, you know, that might not be the case across the state. And uh, it's being able to reach people and give them, you know, give them the tools to make decisions and and get the support they need. And to create the safe space to do so. I mean, it's been interesting. And this is part of the reason why we're doing um, other things on in addition to the events to amplify these femtech founders is, a, you know, a city focused podcast for each season for each city is that there are different challenges for every city. You know, for Atlanta, the fact that I, I am been in conversations with these amazing, powerful white women and uh, there, but they have problem even saying reproductive. That, that word in itself, it makes them cringe a little bit. So let alone in LA where we talk about vagina or, or periods or menstruation and other things, um, quite open. Uh, it's a different market and therefore it comes with different challenges. And I, there's, Part of it is I want people to understand information. The other part of it is empathy, right? There, there, for us to move this space, I've, I've always been a full believer, believer of the fact that it takes EQ as well as IQ or data to be able to make strides forward. And the fact that people have supported me 
organizations like, you know, Bioscience LA, shout out to them. Coyote Ventures, big VCs are now coming in. Techstars, you know, Anastasia Simon is giving us time. You know, she's a principal there, keynoting there. Um, we had Anna McDaniel of LA Times, you know, Kirthy Vanatanum of Crunchbase. I mean, this is, it's a different kind of, I think it's a different approach to the conversation because of the fact that it is a salon. And so just a little bit to touch upon that, the reason why I chose a salon and name it a salon is it's one of the oldest ways people used to connect with one another. They used to be inspired one another, used to learn, but they also had fun. And those are key drivers on how we carry our events in our community because of the fact that, let's just say this, if you're a founder, you spend three days at a conference. You know, on average, maybe you get 10 to 12 good contacts, but you just didn't really spend that much time, right? You maybe had like a 20-minute conversation. Well, you can do the same thing in four hours, we found. Like a lot of them had between 10 and 15 contacts. And because of the different environment that was curated, it, it, it there's more stickiness to how people are interested and how people want to engage. I mean, the last one, it got to the point where even before the happy hour, I couldn't even get the audience to, to calm down after five times the same piece because people are so excited just talk, you know, finding like-minded or at least a safe environment where they can truly just ask questions and not feel stupid. And, and to really sort of lay this out clearly, this is an evolving area. It's an evolution of conversation. It's an evolution of medical science because a lot of it we weren't in, in the 86, we were technically allowed, but it wasn't until 93 that we were really included in clinical trials. Um, and so what I, what I want to promote is there's accessibility to this space. It is not niche. It may come across as a niche, uh, I would say term. And, but this is why we say, you know, I define it as something very broad because everybody exists because of the cycle. Everybody exists has a stake, whether it's themselves or their partners or their family members or friends. And so um, that accessibility point is really big for us as well. And, and again, it's only because people give us feedback. We're able to fine tune that a little bit, evolve. But this is a, only the beginning of, of I would say, a, a bigger road for us as a company and, and also as a organization. Yeah. And actually on, on that note, um, we've got, you know, we've got some great, great listeners, this incredible community that we are LA Tech has created in LA, but, but people who are connected across the country, around the world. How can the we are LA Tech community help my comma? How can it help, uh, Femtech Salon? How can it help what you're doing? So lots of give us some outs here so we can come back with some ideas and resources. I, I've got my bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love that. You're organized. Yeah. yeah. Let's get it. We will list them out. I want to hear it all. Okay. So first thing is if you know of a femtech founder, connect us, please send them, have them, you know, follow us at, at my comma dot life on IG and DMS or email me at Rachel dot my life, my comma dot life. You know, for us, again, we're Femtech Founder Forward. We have over 33 companies in our com in our community now. And that's across LA and Atlanta. And that number is growing by the day. We want to have a close connection with them and an intimate and intentional connection. And that's, you know, that's a key driver for however we engage. Second thing is if you know drink sponsor brands, uh, sponsors in general who either support women founders, femtech founders, bioscience and life, uh, life sciences, um, and, or just are big about supporting LA as an economic city. Those are probably the big areas where we find people interested in actually supporting us. If you're media or a community member, amplify us. I mean, for me, it's just we, Follow us on LinkedIn. We announce a lot of our events on there and IG. Forwarded to people who may, whether if you're either femtech curious, femtech impacted and allies so that people can just come and have fun and meet everyone. Um, I would say those are three or key ways that people can engage us. 
Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I will say uh, that you and I have talked about this, but I've been traveling to so many conferences and, and trade shows across the country over the past couple of months. And I'm I'm talking about the the Femtech Salon and, and what you've been doing. And the first of all, the response is so positive. But, you know, I've got companies, I've got other contacts, I've got investors, uh, you know, in different places. And so I think you're you've really hit on a you know, not just an emerging market opportunity, but truly this, as I said, it's, you know, critical need right now to support entrepreneurs and ultimately support to support women. And when it's really supporting people, because, uh, you know, again, this idea that, you know, we're, we're talking about human health and, uh, you know, just, you know, humanity in general, when we talk about any of these issues, and it's so critical for everyone to be thinking about, all of this and how it fits into their lives. And um, so we're going to wind things down here, but, you know, you've talked about all of this amazing work you're doing. You've talked about working nonstop for 10 years and then taking some time off to travel and now, you know, diving into this new thing. So how do you keep yourself sane and, uh, and, and happy? And, and what do you do when you're not building Femtech community and building the salon and building my comma, you know, how do you kind of keep, keep yourself balanced? Well, um, as I said, it's been the last, an evolution of myself for the last five years to not only just be emotionally and physically healed. Um, so for me, it comes out of that has been growth mindset, uh, learning, constantly learning. I think another part of that, particularly about myself and always checking in and understanding where my boundaries are. So going from my twenties to my thirties, um, I'm an extroverted introvert. If we, if anyone knows me, they probably they know they'll know that because there's a point in time after socially speaking, if I, I will hit a wall and be like, "Love you guys, by God, peace out," and I don't feel guilty about it, right? So that's part of it is understanding my boundaries and reinforcing them, and just really being able to uh, communicate them in a way where it's not about the other person. It literally is like, hey. I don't think you want to prank you, Rachel, or you mean like on on your hands. I'm gonna go shut down, or you know, I'm simulated, and I I just need some quiet time. And and you, it's one of those things where I recognize myself and to know that just like, hey, like um, I can't do this today, but maybe can I do this tomorrow? Yeah. Now you, by the way, you are because uh, we're 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 somewhat similar that way, but you're really good at that because I I think you're always better at. Uh, not just telling me when you need to check out and I can't talk to you, but actually looking at me and being like, Dave, take some time. Let's talk about this. You know, so, so you you are really good at, you know, not just reading yourself, but reading other people that way, which I and love. Honestly, that, thank you for that because my co-founder and I, uh, we lead with EQ. That's something that we, we made a conscious decision on um, in anything we do and it can be difficult, but it starts with ourselves and, so um, another thing is I put, I book time for myself in red in my calendar. So my priority isn't sort of my back-to-back VC calls or anything else. It actually is myself. And so I'll book, I have an Equinox membership. Um, I love them. I love it because out of all the things that I pay for, it forces me to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Where yep. it's intention for me to like, okay, I need to go at least 18 to 20 times a month. That is my goal. And then schedule it in and, um, just understand the fact that because I, I know what my energy and productivity is over the course of the day and also the week that, um, my weekends, I do work. I do work, but I, I also will cut out at Friday afternoon, right? To be able to compensate for that or, um, go on a hike, um, reading. I love documentaries. And probably if, if you don't know me, I really love documentaries. I love I, anything Netflix. I love fantasy, actually. That's another thing. Um, so for my mind to feel free, I need to completely put myself in a different world that is highly creative and imaginative because I think you also problem solve a lot. For me, that's really important. Uh, and then I also love my cuddle puddles. Um, my friends who have animals, I, I actually, my subtle side hustle is, uh, really pet sitting and that gives me joy because 
um, that heals me in my IQ. Uh, it also forces me to think about someone else's needs at the same time. But, you know, I do all the things that give me joy in the smallest way. And I just started by doing one thing at a time, honestly. Yeah. No, I love that. And, and by the way, uh, you are definitely not alone on the uh, the pet therapy angle. You know, I just got back from the health, the HLTH conference in Las Vegas, and health had this puppy zone in the middle. And there were four or five puppies there at all times. And so people were able to come in from their meetings and go in this little kind of like, you know, green in case, you know, enclosed area and uh, just get some cuddle time. And it was it was pretty cool. It was highly, highly popular. So highly recommended conference for, you know, for reasons like that, because they do things to kind of reconnect people. Um, and I think, Rachel, this has been awesome. You were going to have, uh, I think, a lot of connections that come out of this. I think the the We Are LA Tech community, I think, can rally around what you're doing, again, not just here in LA, but other places, I hope. So, uh, you know, more to come on that. But thank you so much, everyone, for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast uh, to connect and collaborate with more amazing people like Rachel and the LA Tech community. Remember to go to the We Are LA Tech community Facebook group at We Are LA Tech slash community. That's We Are LA Tech.com. Sorry, We Are LA Tech.com slash community. Say hello on social at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and I will see you next time. And Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time on a Sunday, by the way. So now we can go and actually do some more fun stuff that's not podcasting, but thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Rachel Kim, CEO of My Comma and the founder of Femtech Salon, um, particularly for LA and ATL. I am an ecosystem builder for the Femtech community, particularly in high growth cities across the US, so watch out for us. Currently based in Larchmont, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.